This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Tara Youngblood's devotion to the science of sleep has led her on many unexpected paths. As a scientist, she knows all too well the benefits of a good night's rest on the brain and body. Faced with a family tragedy, she recognizes those heavy boulders she's been carrying make us who we are and who we ultimately aspire to be. Hi, Tara. It's good to see you. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Sure, absolutely. So what would you like coaching on? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit prior to this interview. Um, I think everyone can always use a little extra help in the meditation, mindfulness, how to stay more peaceful, especially as a CEO and Mama Four. We were talking about how busy we are going into the school year, and uh, feels like I always get pulled lots of different directions. I try to be good with it, but I think I can always use help with that. Okay, so what I'm hearing is you want sort of more help in the area of peacefulness and mindfulness in that arena. Is that correct? Yep. Great. So what would be a great outcome for today's conversation? Maybe a new, um, I'm, I'm big in tips and tricks and things you can do to um, sneak peacefulness and mindfulness into your day because I don't always get to choose Um as we know, as parents, especially, you don't always get to choose when those moments are. Um, your kid's schedule or life schedule tends to dictate things more. So um, maybe uh, focusing on like sort of lunchtime or morning start or before bedtime um, kind of windows because uh, those are the most likely to happen. Okay. So you want sort of more tricks or tactics in order to sneak in that mindfulness in your life? I think so. I think that's probably the most helpful. Okay. So how does your routine sort of go on a day-to-day basis? Um, Well, I actually only have one at home right now. Um, So getting him off to school, I have a dog. So once I get him to school, usually that's where I kind of focus the peaceful time of taking a nice long walk with my dog and sort of uh, just really focus on um, gratitude and peacefulness during that time of um, less a little less for me about what to do for the day trying not to think about that yet it's sometimes hard but um, really sort of spend it a little more reflective 
Um, and then obviously I go to the office um, and that's where, you know, there's a lot less control of what happens day to day. It's pretty inconsistent. Um, try to do something at lunchtime to get out of the building and walk around, get some sunlight. Um, but it can change day to day on what that looks like again because of the work schedule. Um, and then uh, we have after school uh, practices start. So there's, I usually grab the dog again. Um, she's a big part of my peacefulness partner. Um, and we walk while we're waiting for my son to do his practice. Um, and then there's dinner and then some form of whatever the evening takes. Um, not quite homework too, too stiff yet, but sometimes it's homework, sometimes it's work stuff, sometimes it's just laundry, uh, all those kind of things. And then uh, obviously then there's the sort of bedtime routine that's, you know, again, uh, starts with dog walking usually. Um, and then, uh, you know, a series of shutting down for the day. I tried to keep a, a pad of dumping, dumping the stuff of what my day was right before, right by my bed to try to do that as the first process. And then it really depends on how stressful the day is, what kind of happens after that. Yeah, so I'm hearing a lot. I mean, how would the ideal version of peacefulness, mindfulness work in your life? I really try to um, listen. I, you know, my, I visualize uh, sort of energy flow um, as a river. Um, that's uh, probably because I'm a water person. Um, but, you know, I, I think about if I'm peaceful, then I am in the river and I'm able to accept of what's coming and going and, and really peaceful on that inner interchange that happens during the day. Um, when I'm not, I'm definitely, you know, I'm on the side of the river and it's passing by and I'm like, oh, that would have been great to do then. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm always, there's a fear of missing out or there, you know, I, 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 there's a lot more obstacles. The day doesn't flow very well. Um, so on those days where, you know, the routine or, or the, the moments of peacefulness get rushed or they don't actually happen because that happens sometimes too, uh, with kids or whatever, uh, that, you know, that, that's when I, I definitely don't feel like I'm in in that moment and able to sort of exist throughout my day. Um, it kind of sneaks in all over the place. I still functionally get through the day, but it's definitely different if I'm not, um, as I call it, in the river. I don't know if that's the right descriptor, but that's how I'm very, I could probably the visualization person is, is that um, spent a lot of time on sort of having my... Um, visualization of my castle it looks a lot like rivendale in lord of the rings and sort of like you know uh if i'm successful i get all the way back there and where the river starts and then some days it's um some days it's harder to stay in the river was there ever a time in your life when you were deeply embedded in the river um you know i think sometimes more than others you know i i have um didn't have a particularly peaceful childhood um you know and so i think i strove to to find those places so even as a little girl i lived on a farm so i could escape the chaos of what happened in the house and and that's probably is driven back to you know go sit by the river and listen and just kind of be there probably is a physical element of uh, and, and at the innocence of a child to be able to, you know, lay on the grass and next to the river and watch the clouds go by, that's probably the ultimate sort of visualization of what that, you know, just, just being, um, and I don't think I realized what I was doing then, but 
um, still kind of look back of like, that's just the ultimate to just kind of lay in a field and, and listen, um, you know, it's always hard. It's harder to do that, you know, on the fly, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to try a little experiment with me? Sure. Yeah. So just want you to get comfortable in your seat. Uh, if you feel inclined, you can close your eyes or just soften your gaze. I want you to take a couple of deep breaths in and out. And we'll just do a quick body scan. I just want you to breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. The top of the head, forehead, the eyes, the nose, the ears, the mouth, the lips, the neck, the shoulders, the upper body, the stomach, the torso, the legs, your feet. Just want you to take a couple of deep breaths in and out again. When you think about or feel this river, is it landing anywhere in your body? I think in my stomach right now, which is an unusual spot, I think, but that's where it feels like at the most moment. Can you describe it? I just, I think it's uh, like if I'm thinking about, you know, what part of my body is sort of speaking the most, that is, that is what's most vocal right now. Um, so it's more about like my thought keeps getting drawn there versus any of the other places you mentioned for some reason. Does it have anything to, to say or? To tell you there's some pivot points in in business and in life as we go and you know there's a lot of conversation of sort of like that gut instinct i don't know if it's like um trying to remind me to be peaceful that i do feel like that gut instinct is a, a is a broader obviously there's the element of myself in it but i feel like gut instinct is also a bigger part of listening to the river um so maybe that's I had a guess or had a sort of feel that would be what I'm guessing. What's the, um, what's the context that the gut instinct wants you to do? I think just to trust, to trust that the process, the process is doing what it's, it's supposed to do. I think it's very easy to, um, want to feel like you've, you're in control when, there's really not as much a sense of control. And so I think that is, especially as running a company, you know, you have to obviously have a sense that you're in control, but there's also a sense of letting go and just letting it be. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's, it's much, much more in the trust that the right things are happening instead of stressing about the things that are may or may not happen in your childhood you, you said you used to walk and and be by the river did the river have an agenda no no i think i was a pretty wandery child with a 
very big imagination. So um, I think it, uh, I was always driven to the stars. So I'd often do it, you know, when it was dark out um, as well. So um, even from a little girl, I've always wanted to go to the stars. And so I think there's a big connection of the, the river to the sort of broader universe. I think that's where that sort of energy connection comes from. So this sort of trusting aspect, how do you think you can sort of make some of the some of some of these actualized in, in your life? Usually it it involves stopping and taking a breath and you know, I think humility is is a quality that um, I don't feel like I have a huge ego, but it's more like you go sort of uh, headlong through life and you um, don't de-emphasize sort of your bigger role in the universe. It's easy to be in all in, in your life and not in the universe and sort of um, to step back and sort of recognize the role of what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish is, is part of the, the bigger universe not just who you are so how would those steps look like in your in your day-to-day so i think as the as the moment kind of um comes up and there's sort of that uh i have to make a decision now pressure or a conversation that feels um you know, that it, it has to happen or there, there's external pressure applied with it to to actually, you know, take two extra breaths or, or some extra breaths and and just take a moment. Um, in the past, I've actually just kind of said, hey, I'm just going to use the restroom and like step out for a minute, take a couple deep breaths and then come back um, to, to kind of acknowledge that and not and not just keep keep moving. Um, you know, I think that the physicist in me is is molecules in motion are, are, you know, the faster they get, the faster they get. Um, but to constantly be focusing on how can they be a little bit slower and how to make room for that uh, space and that peacefulness, even in moving uh, molecules, you know, there's lots of space in gas. You don't feel like air is busy, but it's way busier than a solid. Um, but it's because there's lots more space between the molecules. And so making sure that I give space and how would this look like in terms of you know your team um you know i think i think we generally as a team there's obviously different personality types and some personality types are are way more attuned to being uh able to do this than others um so there's there's that friction trying to recognize um, what I need versus uh, what another person on the team needs. Um, and so, you know, I think that um, making sure that there is enough break or space or, you know, meeting time where there, there is, it is an all push, that there is some time that's softer, even if it's just conversation or it's, you know, stuff that isn't, um, partly because everything is very virtual right now, too. So it becomes way more functional than it is. You know, there's no water cooler equivalent time the same on virtual, it tends to be. 
um, people jump right into like, let's get this done and then get off Zoom. Um, and so I think there's, there's, uh, it has to be a little more deliberate to kind of like, you know, make sure you take time to find out how everyone's doing and check in. Is there any way you could create that for your team, a deliberate virtual experience? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, we actually have an experiment scheduled uh, next week to try. So we have an off cycle. We probably getting into the nuance of the business, but there's we have a, an off cycle week. We have four weeks of work and then an off cycle week that allows us to kind of do catch up and and we call it demo day for one of them where we get to demonstrate what the, what people did. Um, so we have a yoga nidra a nidra um, sort of thing scheduled to try to encourage people to understand what sort of just being peaceful in their day might do. So um, I'll let you know. <laughs> that's that's my my attempt at, at that. Well, so we'll see. I think um, when we've done it before, you know, again, there's people that immediately fall into it and love it, and then there's other people that take a little bit longer to, to kind of embrace that idea. But I'm hoping because they don't have to think too hard about it, they can just show up and, and do the activity that the barrier to sort of enveloping that will be less. But, um, you know, I think, you know, uh, having, having more, having more moments uh, of just chat, I think is another way to do that. So Tara, how how would this work in terms of social support for yourself and in, in sort of, you know, sticking to this type, you know, this new way of uh, going about your life? Um, so when you mean social support, uh, as far as sort of involving friends or family or just context, all of the above? Yeah. All the above. Um, all the above. Um, so I, I feel like... Um, my boys and I are really pretty good about sort of taking time, um, you know, despite the fact that uh, there's old as 22 or young as 12. Um, we all sort of take time to to cuddle or connect. Um, I'm a big believer, um, you know, I, as far as that goes, I did uh, sports training uh, sort of as a career starter and um, worked with men's teams and sort of that teenager, uh, young men especially, don't seem to have enough touch. They, uh, you know, as they start charging to college. Um, so I feel like uh, managing touch points with my boys as far as making sure, you know, whatever form that takes. Sometimes with the younger ones, it's just wrestling and like it's a little bit more active because it's boys. But I think there's, there's a, a big element of, not forgetting to hug, not forgetting to connect, not forgetting to to have physical contact, and it it is it's it's always a challenge to kind of keep that in the play, certainly in the in the family element. And I, I think I think an extended family, I think it's it's very similar. COVID um, with grandparents and and people like that, of you know, kind of put of like you don't touch, you don't hug, you do those kind of things. And so um, it's definitely been. Uh, trying to find balance there of how to connect. So I think that there's definitely the world has given us a pretty big challenge on how to, how to find ways to be peaceful in a bigger social context. Um, certainly way different than we had done it for a long time. Very sort of uh, must touch or hold hands or do some physical connection usually when we get together. And that's kind of been pushed to the limits, obviously. Um, so I think uh, that is harder than 
would be normal right now for sure. Yeah. So how how would you handle obstacles coming your way? You said you wanted to incorporate a lot of, you know, this element of touch, but also just, you know, forming that connection with people. How would you handle that? I think it's, I think listening plays a big role. I think when you're moving fast, it feels harder to listen and to really listen versus just sort of take a breath and, and make sure everyone has a chance to fully verbalize and share who they are. Um, so I think that's that's an element, again, that isn't restricted to whether it's virtual or in person. Um, allow bigger pauses in a conversation to make sure that there's a chance for opportunity to share or to get to that, you know, and, and make sure the conversations last long enough to get to a spot where they get to have emotional discharge. Because um, I feel like that's the other thing that's harder right now is it feels like conversations are faster and further apart. And it, it is harder to get to a spot where you get uh, to emotionally share versus just sort of talking about the su superficial stuff on top. Getting the next layer down feels a lot harder with people right now. I think everyone's a little guarded and probably... You know, on reflection right now, just part of that is sort of that underlying sense of stress or fear or, you know, anxiety people have with the pandemic going on, whatever your place is in it, there's just this underlying sort of simmering. And I don't know if that's sort of factoring into people being a little bit more reserved and sort of pulled back. Um, I don't know if that's part of it, but it does seem to me that people are a little bit more like, you know, in their own space, a little more reserved. Uh, it takes it takes a little longer to get too comfortable or sort of that emotional layer versus versus before for sure. And how have you handled all the stresses with the pandemic? You know, I think um, it's interesting when we uh, lost our youngest son Benjamin. And, you know, I've lost my father and Todd's lost his father. You know, we've had, and, and obviously grandparents and things like that. But, but when you lose your son, you, you give up this, this sort of ideal, um, kind of almost that white picket fence kind of ideal of life. You're like, okay, life is not going to look like I had this perfect happily ever after. And, and the crazy part is generally life is not happily ever after, but um, I think when you have perspective of life could be taken at any moment, you know, he went from being a very healthy person to not being a healthy person very quickly with the bacterial meningitis. And so it felt like he was plucked up and like we, we weren't able to sort of um, prepare. My father had cancer and so it was a longer process and, and you know, different roles. But, you know, I think when you see life as we are all going to inevitably die, this is not something that is, you know, um, an exclusive time. The timing of it is is sometimes frustrating and makes you angry, and you don't always understand the timing part. But we are we are all going to die at some point, and puts it in perspective of if this is the time, this is the time. This is you know, and and. You know, with reflection, you know, Benjamin ended up being an organ donor. His heart still beats. Um, all of his and most of all of his internal organs are in another child um, or not a child anymore as much. But, um, you know, 
if he had been a firefighter or some hero somewhere and he was 45 and that happened, we'd be sad, but we like, wow, but he, he died a hero. And even though he was a little boy, he still died a hero. And uh, other parents prayed for a miracle and my son was that miracle. And so when you tie all those things together of like this time is time for us humans is so broken and as a physicist it is just not a good variable for us to put perspective on on when and where now um if we take out time and we know we're going to die anyway it takes away the fear of what's whatever you're facing in front of you at least for me it takes a peacefulness of if i'm doing and living to my best self every single day but that's part of the being you know your very best self every day and if that's if that's the time that it ends, that's the time that it ends. And so it, it helps remove the fear because I feel like fear is the most paralyzing emotion. It is what stops us from being our best selves more than anything else. And so if you recognize that death is not necessarily within your control and you just be, then even the pandemic is the pandemic and there's ups and downs, but it's it's just a different, slightly different version of life, and there's different things you need to overcome or think about, but the context of could it hurt me um, diminishes greatly in the sense of uh, only if I let it. So, you know, in your quest for sort of more peace and mindfulness, how does Benjamin play a role in that? Um, you know, I think uh, a very big role, uh, you know, I, I feel like um, when I lost him, and we can get into sort of sleep uh, later, but, you know, I, I really didn't sleep. I, I really, um, really struggled with depression, even suicidal thoughts. You know, I had to go to a pretty much bottom of the well kind of place to, to start to find my way out, um, which I think is fairly typical and sometimes in those scenarios um and so i feel like in a lot of ways it's been a gift because i don't know if i would be the person i am today if i hadn't had to figure that path out if i hadn't had to put framework in if i hadn't sort of um even just in how i relate to people um work with veterans and other people with with trauma or things they've gone through and the level of empathy that I'm able to have because I've been to the bottom of the well, at least for me, whatever that well bottom looks like for people, but um, it is in essence a gift of itself. You know, um, it was asked actually on a podcast not that long ago, like if you look back at your life, what do you regret? What would you go back? If you could go back in time and change something, would you change it? And as much as I would do anything to have my son back. I wouldn't change the timeline because I am every bit of who I am today. And um, I'm not sure we would have had our, our other son that came after him. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't take that back either. So you, you kind of look at, you're like, okay, I think, I think I am what I am and the peacefulness of um, all the bumps and bruises, you know, water, back to the river is pretty magical. And actually the more it bumps and churns and has vortexes, the actually the better the water is. So it's not stagnant, it's not slow. We all crave this sense of 
that stagnant pond, but it turns out the water in that pond is not very healthy. It's, you know, overrun with algae and, and it isn't it isn't healthy. It needs to be oxygenated. It needs to move. It needs to have it needs to have boulders to bump against and to roll against and to to be its best self. And um, I feel like Benjamin's role in my life is is a constant reminder of those boulders make us who we are and they make us our best selves. Um, and without them, there's really, you really end up in a pretty different place and you never want to be the stagnant pond that isn't improving and growing. How does, how does sort of this idea of accountability play into this aspect of knowing, sort of coming to terms with what you spoke of and also finding ways to be more centered and more, more peaceful in your life? Um, well, you know, I think it, it actually came about um, probably about four years after Benjamin passed away. I got a random call in the middle of the night from another woman that I'd known as an acquaintance, but she had recently lost her son. And uh, I, I really thought I had pulled myself together and was like, like I got this. Um, but honestly, the conversation with her made me realize I had put a lot of stuff in a closet and then closed the door. Um, and so... I'm like, wow, I, you know, it turns out that I need, I still need to keep doing work. And I think that the realization at that point is that you're never done any kind of work. You know, it's not like you ever um, get to a spot where this is it, back to this thing, segment pond, you know, like you're never going to just sit the moment you, you do that. You're really done living. And so the accountability to stay peaceful, the accountability to, um, to Benjamin to make sure that I can help other people that have maybe had rough paths find their way out or give them framework or, or just kind of use that example. I, I take that really strongly because I, it is a, when you put it all in a closet and you say, well, it's okay, I'll, I'll be fine and I just close the door, it turns out that that's not good for you. And and uh, pretty big believer, at least for me, the river did not want me to hide all of it. It wanted me to talk about it. It wanted me to to share as much as it hurts sometimes, and, and it's uh, difficult to share, it's it's important to keep sharing and keep talking about it because um, people need to hear that none of us are perfect. None of us have this ideal life. None of us have a white picket fence per se, that there's, there is framework that and accountability that can um, draw us into wherever we need to go. So if you was to check in with that, your stomach right now what would what's happening i think it's actually it's generally whenever i sort of um focus back and for me it's about you know what is my mission in life what is my goal in life um you know am i doing the right thing am i working on the right stuff um and i think that there is a peacefulness of like yeah you really you really are on the right place you know if i was doing something else would I have the same opportunity to share or grow or, or kind of be a part of the solution for more people? Um, that wouldn't happen. And so, you know, my gut is like, yeah, you're, you're working on the right stuff. So how do you think you can sprinkle in more of that river feeling? It is. It's, 
you know, I'm a, um, a follower of B.J. Fogg and his tiny habits. And so when I think of sprinkling, I go back to uh, anchors and, you know, wearing my anchor. And, and that's part of even in my day, you probably heard, well, these are my anchor points. These are like, like the key points. I tend to do that. Um, but I think to, to continue to sort of look for where are those other anchors of even just in a meeting, you know, what are the trigger points of, okay, when I look at the agenda, you know, can I create spots where even in an agenda that there's anchors within that that aren't just sort of sticking them to these um, bigger spots that I certainly started out with and are successful, but how do I continue to break down and find more and more smaller anchors to sort of break up those segments so the segments between those reminders are less and less over time. Wonderful. I think this is a great place for us to transition into the interview portion. So tell my audience more about Tara Youngblood and what you do. Yeah, so um, my husband and I are co-founders of a company called um, Cryo, which makes chili sleep products, um, which is cooling or heating for your bed. Um, but we're we're expanding into more than that with um, coaching and habits and tips. So um, kind of in the app and software space with that, um, you know, bringing out sleep tracking and and sort of a further sense of how to how to make sleep a bigger part of our lives. And so, um, you know, I mentioned a little bit about my journey with lack of sleep, but my background is in physics. I think I might have mentioned that too. Um, so I tend to to sort of derive where I am from that. But uh, I've also spent time in uh, Chinese traditional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, uh, neuroscience, psychology, um, behavioral psychology, including PJ Fogg. I mentioned all of that. So I think I touched on a fair amount already <laughs> without meaning to. Um, I guess those are all core elements of myself. And then uh, we live in Mooresville, North Carolina, uh, in the U.S., and uh, we have four boys and clearly a dog. Um, so that's, that's a, that sort of sums it up, I think. What's the biggest pain point beyond the obvious when it comes to some of the customers that you have when it, when it sort of, you know, has, you know, deals with sleep in general? You know, I think actually recently I was on a sleep panel and they did, you know, the webinar sort of survey while they were, you know, kind of having the talk. And I, I think what was shocking to me was there was, I think, 500 people on the on the call with the webinar and um, half of them filled out the sort of live survey. And of half of those people, they didn't know what was broken in their sleep. They felt like it was broken, but they didn't they didn't know what and they didn't know where to start. Um, a sizable percentage of them had been dealing with it not for, you know, months, but years, um, even some decades um, were in there. People like, oh, it's been like this for 40 years. It's been like this for 10 years. It's been like this for a long time. And I, I think that's 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 where I really feel like there's the opportunity to give hope that, um, again, as someone that's that's been there and, and without sleep, you, you actually can go longer without food than you can without sleep. And we, we kind of tie ourselves to the sense that sleep is something that is secondary to, to anything, that our emotions, our behaviors, um, our thoughts, all of it comes secondary to that. And it's, it's actually way more important. If you can have great sleep, all the things we're talking about, like, do you, do you follow your anchors? Do you follow your framework? Do you eat properly? 
if you're uh, exhausted, no, you don't. Like studies have shown, you don't make good decisions, you don't follow good habits, uh, you're, you eat 500 more really bad calories. Um, when you're tired, you know, the, the, the things that tie to lack of sleep, um, you know, the CDC has is, is sort of described it as um, after, you know, missing a night of sleep, you really are equivalent of being drunk. So it's, you know, if you wow. were going to drive and, and live your life drunk, we'd all kind of like, oh, wow, that's crazy. You shouldn't do that. Um, but we do it with sleep all the time. And, you know, what does that mean? Uh, getting drunk can be fun. But if we're going to live our lives that way, what are we missing in life um, by sort of barely surviving? And, and sleep is a big factor in that. Did I survive today? Um, or not? Did I feel good? Did I did I want to did I want to run and jump or play with my kids or or do those sort of things? Um, sleep has an enormous role in in that happiness factor. And whether we want to touch someone else, whether we feel lonely, um, loneliness is is also a big sort of everything with mental health for sure. Depression, but loneliness is something that is definitely the more tired we are, the more we feel it, the more we feel like that's what's going on. Even if we're in a crowded room and we're tired, we're going to feel lonely. We're going to feel alone. Um, and so we, we kind of, we miss that. And so if, if all of those people have given up hope on sleep, they've also given up their chance for so many of those other better things in life. And so that's where the drive is really not just about selling you a piece of hardware. Um, it's about getting wins. It's about breaking down sleep and to find something that's easy and um you know, for temperature, you know, that part of that, for a lot of people, temperature is a, a big part of it. And we can get into what it does to your brain and evolution and all that research. But, it, you know, anywhere you can find a win, anywhere you can, you can make sleep just something that's a little bit easier. That is, that is absolutely my passion to sort of break it down. Let's figure it out. Anybody can find a way to get sleep better. Um, even if you feel like it's impossible, um, I've spent all of my research time figuring out how to how to break that down, no matter who you are. It doesn't have to be about eight hours. We work with military folks and healthcare workers, shift workers, uh, professional athletes and jet lag, all the things that would say there's no way those people can get great sleep. Um, I, I, there is a way around it. Our bodies want to sleep. Uh, a recent study came out that uh, on hydras that don't have brain full brain functionality that they are now speculating that sleep existed before brains and so oh, wow. when you think about it as far as like an evolutionary purpose it's actually less important for us to be able to think than it is for us to be able to sleep and that sleep part is is that integral to who we are as as a physiological being and we separate it a lot and we prioritize that thinking part way higher than sleep and we need to find a way to uh, sleep first and think second. And if we can think second, our thoughts will be better. Um, we'll feel better. We'll be better, you know, on every level. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, you know, I feel like there's so many misconceptions when it comes to sleep. You know, most people think sleep is just a very lazy thing to do. It's a very inactive thing to do. What has the data shown with, with the benefits of sleep? Yeah, so it's it's almost overwhelming. So the first data that showed sleep or lack of sleep tied to a health outcome was in 1999. So prior to that, you know, we kind of were studying sleep or looking at sleep, but we didn't really, uh, your 
if you went, you know, traditional medicine, your doctor wouldn't have done anything in residency. They wouldn't really talk about it. It's like just sort of like a thing, but it's not really something that was really looked at. And so now when you sort of start at the brain first, um, your cognitive loss as you hit old age, Alzheimer's, um, all of those are being tied to lack of deep sleep because during sleep, your brain, uh, when you hear brainwash, it always gives you that weird connotation that you're being brainwashed, but your brain actually needs to wash um, and your spinal fluid will actually wash over your brain and take toxins out because there's a blood brain barrier. That's the only way that things built up in there get washed out. It's pretty different functionality throughout the rest of your body, but in your brain, that's, that's a really uh, physical part. And then when you look at how memories are stored, we don't, we don't store memories during the day. We actually, that's the process overnight of, of figuring out what becomes short-term or long-term memory. It's why you can kind of remember what you might've done two weeks ago, but you don't really remember four weeks ago, unless there was a major event or something you needed to remember, it becomes part of that memory. But that process happens at night. It helps us to figure out when and where to file things. So I love the analogy of if you put files on your desk every day for a year and never filed them, you wouldn't be able to work at that desk anymore. And it does very similar things to your brain. Um, you go to cardiovascular system or a lymphatic system or um, so many of your healing elements, you don't really heal your body during the day. So most of those functionalities are happening um, at night. And, and when you think about it, you know, especially when you're stressed out, it's part of that fight or flight, that's that half of your body. So, you know, you're going to be highly functioning um, and get through your day, but you're not going to be doing that sort of digestive and slower parts and the healing part during your day. You've been designed to kind of do that at night during rest. And if you don't rest, um, your body also can't recover. And so you're seeing that in chronic diseases, chronic pain, auto, the rise of autoimmune diseases. A lot of those are sort of tied to this magic tsunami of yuck between stress and lack of sleep um, really is sort of the pressure that creates these problems and even cancer and diabetes, all of those things. We are genetically predispositioned to what those might be. But in general, you put someone in a high pressure situation with no sleep for a long period of time and they get sick. No, you know, And it's just about what way they're going to get sick. And a lot of that's driven by what their genetics are, what the history is of, of their body. But it, it's, it's almost for certain that if you, you don't sleep and you're, you keep that stress and your body can't recover, um, some physiological problem will happen because the, the amount of systems that have to recover during the night are like top to bottom. So Tara, I'm fascinated with you know, something you mentioned earlier about you know sort of thinking and then sleeping. And I realized that we haven't, as a society, been taught great sleep hygiene. So when you think about sort of exercising, think about sort of, you know, building that muscle, building that tension, allowing that to grow and expand. I've never been taught anything about sleep hygiene when I was growing up at all. And it feels like even as adults, some of us are still doing the same things we were doing when we were younger. So how do we, how do we sort of, you know, rewire sort of that? 
Yeah, I think it's really, it's important to think about the power of sleep. So um, Thomas Edison um, probably made this most famous. You can Google black and white pictures of him laying on his workbench. Um, But we think about sleep as being lazy, as you kind of pointed out, versus um, actually igniting our brains. Um, And so he would actually think about a problem and then fall asleep. He'd hold two steel balls in his hands because this part of sleep is called hypagogic sleep. And once you fall asleep, within about five minutes, your body relaxes. So it's in that first five minutes of sleep before you fully relax. But when his body would relax, he'd drop the steel balls and wake up. But there's something very magical that happens in our brains. And to call it like an LSD trip makes it sound weird and and crazy. But it is in the sense that if you're a Matrix fan, the laws of the physical universe aren't part of that thinking process. So if you can imagine Salvador Dali used it, um, Van Gogh, different creative types from like truly engineering problems like Thomas Edison all the way through, certain people have found uh, by accident, but it is really a thing. It's been studied. I spent some time with a group at uh, MIT Media Lab that are working on gloves that could help do that instead of steel balls. And it, it is amazing. You you. When you let go of the physical parameters and all of the limitations that may be holding you back on a project or a problem or a creative thing you're trying to solve, and you just let it be and you let your mind go, the possibilities truly are endless. And so I think part of it, you know, back to how do you respect, how do you feel like sleep is good when you give it sort of this powerful thing I think is a first step of like and if you ever sort of try that take a nap when you're really struggling with something struggling emotionally or 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 in a problem and take a nap the studies have shown like there's it's 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 very well documented that you will actually the the whole sleep on it and and you'll decide your brain will continue to iterate and work through those during sleep and in a way that your prefrontal cortex when you're awake your conscious mind cannot do it's just not the same and so when you put the power into that activity instead of it's taking me away from time with my family it's taking away from your day instead of empowering it to be the powerful part of your day it's it's the chance to you know it's like interval training you know you look at the power of fitness and interval training like if you push to the limit all the time it's not the same as pushing and pulling back pushing and pulling back and it is that that give and take and our bodies are designed to do amazing things with sleep uh, if if we recognize it as an amazing thing to do instead of a have to do pain in the butt yuck thing that is disrupting or taking away from your life instead of enhancing it and making it bigger than it ever was before and so um, the hypagogic one is usually the one where like okay you just have to visualize that sleep is empowering and if you can do something that's empowering as part of your day that's going to like lift you up make you feel good it's designed to give you a rush in the morning like if you can figure out and dial in sleep you you actually get a hormone rush in the morning of cortisol you shouldn't need caffeine your body's been designed to do all that brilliantly um we just we've we've made sleep very hard for our bodies because we don't respect it so i think always the first step is like wow sleep is actually kind of a cool thing 
Yeah, no, it just made me think back to when I was in college. I pulled out, <laughs> pulled out all those all-nighters eating Domino's. I could have fed myself just something free and uh, fast like sleep. Um, but, yeah, uh, and, and I was, and, and the studies have shown inequivocally that staying up all night, you're actually way better off. Your brain remembers way more than you know, and during sleep is when it's filed. So uh, if you're studying and you don't sleep afterwards, it doesn't stick as well. So you'll actually only get about 25% in, but if you studied for less amount of time, just read the material instead of feeling like you needed to pour over it all night, you'd actually remember up to 50% versus 25%. Wow. Like it's like it's phenomenally different. We think that more time in front of the books is better, but our, our brains are, again, back to they're really magical. And if sleep is going to be what files it and you don't file it, so then you get into the test and you're like, oh crap, I just read that. I don't remember what it is. Um, that's because you didn't sleep on it. You didn't, you didn't file it. You didn't put it where it needed to go so your brain could, can pull it back out again. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, so besides purchasing your wonderful products, what's the number one tip you can give a listener right now who's struggling with sleep with literally everything going on in the world right now? Yeah, so I think, you know, first is is to identify, like, are you having a hard time falling asleep? Do you wake up in the middle of the night? Or are you, you just waking up in the morning exhausted? Um, and, and the tips for each of those are just a little bit different. So I'm going to uh, cheat a little bit and give you um, three. So for falling asleep at night, um, I do recommend with sleep has to be turned off. There is actually a sleep switch. Uh, it's coined by Clifford Sapier out of Harvard. It is entrained to a change of temperature. Um, and, and so you really want to turn on sleep and turn off sleep. So if it's not turning on, you know, remember, did I turn off first thing in the morning when you wake up, get outside, turn off the sleep switch, um, try to keep your stress levels in check. And if you get into bed, I highly recommend trying yoga nidra. Um, I think I mentioned it, that was going to sort of, uh, have my staff do it. Um, and it, it is very simple. You can Google the, like YouTube, uh, yoga nidra. We have some on our site as well, but it's it's very simple. It's when you think yoga, you think lots of poses and moving around. This is lay like a pencil, and and honestly, do not that different than you walked me through of like think about different parts of your body and breathe. So it's the most simplest thing you can do, but um, it actually studies have shown it it can give you the same rest as some deep sleep, and so you're putting yourself in a state to do that. So that's my sort of bedtime. Uh, tricks. Uh, if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's almost always temperature related. If you're, unless you're um, have a prostate or, or bladder issue, but if you're waking up in the middle of the night, it's you're too hot. We want to be coldest in the middle of the night, and that's where a product helps. Um, if you want to try it, have a cold shower or do something before you go to bed to try to lower that core body temperature. Your mattress might be too hot is another one. All the foams tend to reflect reflect our heat back to us in the middle of the night. And so um, really consider temperature if you're waking up in the middle of the night. And if you're waking up exhausted in the morning, you know, a lot of people don't realize that um, we're fasting at night. And so we don't want to have anything with a high glycemic index. We don't want to have a big meal before bed. Um, but a snack of like some almonds or nuts or something will actually often help people waking up tired in the morning because they have a low uh, blood sugar is part of that exhausted feeling. Obviously, if you're just not getting sleep, you're not getting sleep. But if you're waking up just feeling tired and you did your eight hours and you feel like you slept, consider some of those kind of options. 
And again, your body will naturally release cortisol if you turn off sleep. So back to that sort of first tip of this, you know, instead of reaching for the caffeine first, you know, really think about how do I trigger my body and warming up in the morning. So exercise, moving your body, getting sunlight are all things that will turn off sleep. Um, stop making us feel so sleepy, making us feel awake and uh, really help us start our start our day. Awesome. Well, you know, you intrigued me. So you definitely intrigued some of my listeners. Where can they find more about you, your company, your work? Yeah. So uh, chillysleep.com. Um, and I also we just launched a new site that um, is really more about educating people on sleep. And that's sleep.me. Um, so if you also want to um, just sort of cruise content more um there's that um we do have a lot of blogs on chili sleep on all the sort of topics i hit on as well um and then that obviously there's the hardware for you to explore certainly if you're struggling in the middle of the night or if you're taking a long time to fall asleep the temperature is i again it's a no willpower hack I, i love those hacks that we can do without putting a lot of um, cognitive load on trying to remember back to how do we make habits easy. Um, Temperature is definitely one of those things for sleep that can make it easy and not put a lot of extra lift in your life. Wonderful. Well, this was a very restful conversation. (laughs) So I thank you. (laughs) I thank you very much for your time and energy. Well, thank you for having me. And I appreciate uh, the coaching. I'm not sure. you know, we, we talked about like picking the right topic, but um, I, I it would definitely feel um, really peaceful about sort of um, being able to work through that, even just sort of that gut feel thing. So thank you for that. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tara. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move you in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.